The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to More Than Amused podcast, a podcast all about women and the arts, hosted by Stani and Sadie. Join us as we explore what it's like being a female artist, examine modern day problems, and educate ourselves and you on important and forgotten female artists of the past. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to More Than Amuse. I'm Stani. And I am Sadie. And thank you for being here today. I'm, yes, thank I'm you. very interested and int- excited to talk about this topic today. Yeah, this topic's kind of fun. It's different. I feel like we're going to kind of branch out of the arts a little bit, but yeah. it was inspired because of the arts and something that's happening like right now and mm-hmm. in history. So I feel like it's kind of a fun, relevant topic that honestly, I'm really excited for. Me too. In a very sad way. Yeah, I was going to say like, I'm so excited, but like in the way that's like, it's heavy and discouraging, but um, it's interesting and depressing. How exciting. On that note, kind of a trigger warning. Yes. We'll have it in the episode description as well. But we are talking about Victorian and 19th century um, insane asylums and medical practices. And obviously those kind of bordered on torture. If even bordered even counts, it basically was torture. So that'll come up. I'm not going to discuss it like in detail. Like we're not going to like. No lay it all out but we will talk about it along with like mental health Mm -hmm. depression all of that stuff so if you want to skip it that's fine we won't hold it against you but if you want to listen even to just the first part that's fine too to completely turn this conversation around and make it all about me i'm releasing well i have released i guess another song that's right it'll be out by the time you're listening yeah i feel like this release really snuck up on me and i haven't done a lot of like stuff to like promote it except like posting on instagram once or twice yeah it felt quicker than the last one was that just me no it did yeah i'm just like oh it's coming out on friday but this one's fun because it's an original song Mm -hmm. and it's fun it's like it's like someone told me so i when you release a song you can like submit it to like different blogs and stuff you know to like get featured and someone responded back who declined it. They were really nice, but they were just like, it's a little bit too sugary for me, so I'll have to pass. But I was like, you know what? That is such a compliment. Like, that is the yeah. way to compliment me on the song because I I, I meant for this to be a sugary pop song. So I I'm love excited it. about it. I love it yeah. too. <laughs> yes, everyone go listen. It's literally so good. I love it so much. It's called Tainted Summer by Daisy. D-A-S-I-E. Even though I'm Sadie, it's by Daisy. <laughs> what is it called again? It's an anagram. It's an anagram. It's intellectual. It's I'm so intellectual, in fact. <laughs> Can't Your you tell? Your name is an anagram. I'm just really smart. That's why I did it. It had nothing to do mm-hmm. with the flowers. Anyways, check it out. Uh, I'm super stoked on it. <laughs> it's so good. And it's a very polar opposite. Like... It's like mm-hmm. I said, it's sugary. It's a pop summer, yes. end of summer anthem with 80s inspired vibes. And yeah, like sugary totally works for it. And yeah, not in a bad way at all. Yeah. No, it's, it's like sugary. Hopelessly devoted to you is like sad girl pop. Yeah, and now we've got like sugary girl sugary pop. pop. <laughs> yeah. And it's great. Yeah. It's like the perfect end of summer anthem. It's wonderful. Everyone go listen. Yeah, everyone go listen. Um, so yeah, a complete antithesis to the subject matter on hand, but I did want to bring it up. Yes. Also, um, yes. Fun news. This is the last week to enter our giveaway for oh, yeah. the book, right? If this is on August thirtieth. So you have two mm-hmm. more days if you go through the end of the month. So there you go. Last two days. 
go enter if you want to win either a copy of More Than a Muse by Katie McCabe or Fangirls by Hannah Ewens. We actually talk about things that are in both of mm-hmm. those books today. Yeah, so, so perfect. <laughs> yeah, what a great little collection of everything. Um, so yeah, go enter. And all you have to do to enter is just share your favorite episode on your story and tag us. That's it. Yeah, that's it. And honestly, it's like people have done it and we've already seen more followers from it. And so mm-hmm. really appreciate it when you guys share it because that's what makes people want to check it out and come listen to us. So, yeah, it's nice because it's like when people tag us and stuff, then it's like putting faces to listeners. Mm-hmm. And I like doing that because, you know, I we see too. who listens every week, but it's just a number. So we have no idea yeah. who they actually are. So I honestly, like seeing it. Yeah, if the numbers weren't there, I'd literally feel like we were just releasing this out into the void yeah. sometimes. <laughs> I know. So it, it means a lot. The numbers prove someone's listening, but I have no idea who they are. And so it's nice to be like, oh, you seem so you. cool. <laughs> yeah. So no, that would be great. And we would love it. And also you could win a book. Yeah, so, you a know. book right from us. All right. Should we dive on into this then? Okay, so we kind of alluded to it last week, Mm -hmm. but there was an article by Conversation, Mm theconversation.com, about how Britney Spears' story of her conservatorship alludes to the older story of Camille Claudel. And if you listened to our Britney Spears episode or our Camille Claudel episode, then you kind of can maybe start to draw some parallels between these two. And it kind of opened up this deeper topic of how mental health is weaponized against women throughout history and Mm -hmm. how it's been like, oh, just such a toxic and terrible like situation for women forever. Mm -hmm. And as Britney Spears story proves, like even now it's still continuing. Yeah. So that's kind of the topic. (laughs) I guess to like briefly mention if you didn't listen to last week's definitely recommend but just to briefly sum up what happened is she was a wonderful sculptor whose Mm -hmm. family pretty much forced her into an insane asylum um where she lived like the last 30 years of her life until she died even though there were doctors that were trying to petition for her to get out like there was a lot of people who were saying she was well enough to leave but her family had the rights over her. And then if mm. you don't know what's going on with Britney Spears and the whole Free Britney movement, she's been in a conservatorship placed over her by her father. And more recently through court audio, I think the world has realized just what she's felt about that and yeah. how abusive that really was. Mm-hmm. So if you're not aware of those backgrounds, but I feel like a lot of people know what's going on with Britney Spears right now. Yeah, I know. I was like, at least hopefully everyone knows about Britney Spears. If you don't know about Camille Claudel, our last week's episode isn't great. So. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, it's just, it's eerily similar how similar these two are. Like, well, especially it's like they're hundreds of years apart. Yeah, more than but a like century the fact that they're so and 5,000 miles apart. And both of them were, like, struggling for independence and dignity. Both were exploited by family members. Mm -hmm. Both were kind of taken advantage of by the medical and legal systems to basically imprison them. Mm -hmm. And these quotes from them just, like, break my heart. Oh, yeah. Brittany herself says... I just want my life back. It's been 13 years and it's enough. I really believe that this guardianship is abusive. I'm traumatized. I'm not happy. I can't sleep. I'm very angry. It's insane. And then you have Camille Claudel who literally wrote in a letter, I'm scared. I don't know what's going to happen to me. What's the point of working so hard and of being so talented to be rewarded like this? Never a penny tormented all my life. It is horrible. One cannot imagine it. Eerily similar yeah like you can just feel the grief in the situation that they're just like oh i just don't understand how this is happening to me and like i don't and like where's the out you know yeah like there's no light at the end of the tunnel for the situation that they were both in i think these parallels too are crazy because it's like they both what had very religious conventional families Mm-hmm. both had very successful careers at a time when it was hard to be a woman in their field. Camille was a sculptor, 
mm-hmm. Britney Spears is a child pop sensation. Like, yeah, no big deal. But there weren't a lot of like women in pop really at that time. I don't think in the nineties, right? Not there in the way Britney some, was, yeah, but not in the way Britney was doing it. And same with Camille Claudel. Her work mm-hmm. was con. Oh, this is another parallel. Camille Claudel was constantly criticized for her work being too sexual. Oh yeah. Yeah, and Britney Spears faced a lot of that same criticism when in reality both of them said multiple times that they were just basing it on human experience and it didn't really have anything to do with sex or not. So that's kind of crazy as well. So for Camille, in 1838, there was a, well, I won't say it in French. I'm not going to mess with that. (laughs) But basically, it's a law dealing with the alienated or the insane, which pretty much said that once she was diagnosed as insane, um, she... pretty much acquired the legal status of a minor. So that meant her family had full authority to commit her and make those decisions on her behalf. That's why she was forced to stay in these institutions for so long is because even if there were doctors that were trying to advocate for her, like legally, she was a child. So it didn't matter what anyone else said. It was strictly up to the parents or the family, which is just horrifying. Yeah, and it's crazy, too, because conservatorships are basically the same thing. They don't put it in that same, like, verbiage. Like, they're not like, oh, you're legally minor. But they're meant for elderly people who are incapable of handling their health and estate. Mm -hmm. And so it allows the family or conservator to make decisions on their behalf for everything in their life. And it gives that third party the control over someone else. And only the court can terminate it. Yeah. it's just nuts it's basically like their guardian so it literally is kind of the same thing they're basically declaring them a legal minor incapable of making their own decisions and putting someone else in charge continuing with the parallels here they were both separated from friends who wanted to help and they were isolated from other people another crazy thing is they both had public outcries from press and friends Mm. who thought that the situation was unjust. So with Camille Claudel, there were people, you know, doing publications about how she she was a lost genius and so many people were writing in newspapers. They were literally saying like she's been imprisoned by her family who doesn't understand her art. Uh Uh-huh. And then, I mean, if you've been paying attention at all with Britney Spears, you know that this, there was a documentary on Hulu. There was a whole free Britney movement that started that, I think maybe really snowballed all of this. Yes, definitely. So it's just crazy that like both of them had these like, because both of them were extremely popular too. Mm -hmm. That's, it's crazy. And then something else that's kind of funnily similar is that scholars have like studied letters from Camille Claudel during her time at the asylum to try Uh and figure out how her mental state was, like if she was actually insane or not. And that's so similar to people now that writing whole articles and starting podcasts dissecting Britney Spears' Instagram to see, like, where her mental state is and if she's really in need of help or not. So it's just nuts that that's still, like, that's also a parallel. (laughs) And as I mentioned earlier, that there was a psychiatrist who thought that Claudel could be released in the 20s, but that her family kept her there. Despite Claudel, she was pleading to leave. A difference between them is that, like Britney Spears, for example, is pretty much saying like, I'm still in, they're still in control of me because they're making money off of me. That maybe wasn't the case for Camille Claudel, um, but they were putting in there because they disapproved so much of her life and they were so embarrassed by her choices that they kind of were like, let's just put her away because they were worried that it would hinder the career of her younger brother, who was a well-known writer at the time. So mm-hmm. I think they were trying to like cover their bases of the scandal and they didn't want her wild life or whatever. I say wild in quotes, like what? it's none of their business, but yeah. um, you know that that would ruin his chances of becoming even more famous because it could be clouded by that. And the article I read also mentioned um, that like something to ask in this situation is why Charlie Sheen, Kanye West, or Chris Brown, um, who have even had letters from facilities saying that they have severe untreated mental health disorders um, and are self-medicating and have even PTSD and everything, uh, are never forced into conservatorships. They said just lucky maybe um but it kind of shows this like grim warning of what can happen to like unchecked miscarriages of justice where camille claudel was 
trapped, like you said, in a mental institution for the last 30 years of her life and eventually buried in like a pauper's unmarked grave. Mm -hmm. And that we don't want that to happen to Britney Spears or any other women moving forward, that we don't want it to become a complete nightmare. Yeah. Here's another quote from Claudel where she said, I have fallen into an abyss. I live in a world so curious, so strange of the dream that was my life. This is my nightmare. Which, oh, that just, like, makes me so sad to read just because it's, like, just the situation she was in. Like, there was nothing she could do. She was completely stripped of her rights. And there were, like, there's just, there's no say because her family was just not taking advantage of her in the same sense that, obviously, Britney Spears is, in my opinion. Yeah. (laughs) But, like, they just didn't like her and she was Mm -hmm. punished for it. And that's not to say that, like, neither of these women had mental health issues. Like, actually, kind of crazily similar enough also, but they also were dealing with extreme paranoia. Um, Brittany was very paranoid of the press, and Camille was very paranoid of her ex-lover, Rodin. Mm -hmm. And so both of them were having that, as well as probably depression, too, and just, like feeling really exploited and taken advantage of by the different people in their life and just dealing with severe life changes. Um, Camille Claudel had just gone through an abortion and then had broken up with her lover. And then you have Britney Spears, who is dealing with a custody battle and the end of her relationship with her husband. And then just the press, just... Yeah. In both situations, actually, Camille Claudel's relationship with Rodin was a lot more public than I think either of them wanted it to be as well so interesting it just kind of goes to show that like they didn't know how to handle women's health issues like Mm -hmm. of course they were having problems but that doesn't like a bout of depression during a large life change and some paranoia doesn't mean you need to be checked into a mental institution or thrown into a conservatorship yeah and that's like very true is like this isn't like to speculate on if they have mental health issues or not or it's just mainly like what are we doing with it and how are we treating Mm -hmm. women who who do suffer with these things and like why has it been so wrong for so long yes and why does it primarily tend to happen to women Mm -hmm. in unjust ways Ugh. And that takes us back to the beginning of women's mental health care. <laughs> Woo! I mean, we talked about this in our Fangirls episode, which is one of our first, just this mm-hmm. concept, concept of hysteria. Which dates all the way back to 1900 BC with the Egyptians. Which is crazy. Yeah, where they literally believed that anxiety, depression or general unrest was due to spontaneous uterus movement. They called it a wandering womb, and they thought that it was all because of the uterus that people had hysteria. And then, so the concept that the uterus was responsible for women's mental distress pretty much was common and persisted until the 16th century, leading Mm -hmm. to obviously just centuries of stereotypes and so much misinformation now like women are driven by their reproductive system or can't be trusted to be knowledgeable about their own bodies um and then the term hysteria was later used for the first mental disorder attributed to women and that stems from the greek word hystera hystera Mm -hmm. which means uterus so that's where the word hysteria even came from was for literally greek uterus (laughs) That's literally the definition is woman. Yes. (laughs) So dumb. Um, But yeah, people even had weird ideas about hysteria. So they thought, like I said earlier, like it was a lot of just being a female, but they thought it would come down to improper sexual health. Like if you stayed a virgin for too long Mm. or um, they also had a term called uterine fury which was basically just nervousness, fits, anxiety, and unusual behavior that actually probably would be pretty average behavior nowadays. Well, that's what the interesting thing about this is that I'm thinking is it's like the truth is, is like there are things as a woman in my body that affects my mental health. You know, like if I'm on my period or if I feel my period coming on, things get affected. If or birth control, which isn't exactly the same thing, but like, as a woman specifically, 
I feel like I have the blessing of dealing with birth control and how that can mess with your body. So it's like, it's like this weird thing where it's like, yeah, I mean, I think women maybe sometimes do have to deal with extra things because of the hormones in our body. But Mm -hmm. to the point of just being like, oh, they're depressed. Mm, Crazy woman and their uteruses. Mm. It's like, okay, mm, no. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Plus, like, it doesn't take into account any of the social situations that any of these women were in during that time period either. Like, they're like, like, "Mm, maybe it wasn't their uterus. Maybe it was uh, discrimination. Uh, (laughs) Perhaps it could be abuse in their lives. Like, who's to say that? And what's really sad is that a lot of the times people would put women in asylums because it was a convenient and socially acceptable excuse for inappropriate or potentially scandalous behavior Mm. so rather than their family being ruined they could just throw them in an asylum with a diagnosis of a medical condition they could be like oh she's crazy yeah and then once in there they would try to like cure them which is awful and they would even like photograph them in the midst of these like hysterical fits in order to teach classes on hysteria and then basically would like over drug them or use ovarian compressors which I don't know what that is but it sounds awful or they would cauterize the cervix um which ow um which is like another (laughs) thing of like them being like oh these women are just having psychotic breakdowns it's like perhaps it could be because they are being held against their will in a home where you know obviously they probably have some mental health issues in the first place of like depression anxiety you know things that they're dealing Mm -hmm. with because of who knows what's happened to them in their lives exactly and now they're being held against their will in a home because their family has rejected them like perhaps that is why they're acting have a mental breakdown yeah like (laughs) any human being not women especially like you shove a camera in my face when i'm emotionally traumatized i know i was gonna say like i have had breakdowns for much less like mm -hmm. yeah oh gosh it's so crazy the sad part is is that even though now we recognize that hysteria isn't like an umbrella term for female mental health conditions um that idea of hysteria and the wandering womb theory actually stayed in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders until 1980. That is not that long ago. No, it's not that long ago at all. So that's insane. And that's just hysteria. Like, we're just at the tip of the iceberg, people. (laughs) Oh, we got a lot more to go. Don't worry. (laughs) Oh, man. The next thing, though, is instead of um, hysteria, then it turned to witchcraft or maybe at the same time. But yeah, um, kind of like interchangeably hysteria, like stuck around and like seeped back into again after it was invented in Egyptian terminology. It's just been around here for a while. Yeah. Witchcraft, which came in strong. What, between the 15th and 18th century? So a lot of times if there was a mental illness that a woman was suffering from, it was attributed to witchcraft, which is more more common in, in Europe and North America, which hysteria and epilepsy in particular were pretty frequently confused with witchcraft or demonic possession, especially if it included any type of like tremor, convulsion, or loss of consciousness. Um, so people automatically would put that, you know, as them being a witch. And statistically, women were persecuted at much higher rates than the men. And this is insane to me that modern scholars have estimated that approximately 40 to 50,000 50, women were executed for witchcraft in a span of a few hundred years. It's literally like, doesn't that qualify as like mass genocide? Yeah. Like that is a ridiculous amount of people. And I don't know, like maybe you believe in witchcraft. I don't really. I think most of the people who died were just people that neighbors were mad at and I think there's even stories of that if you want to look it up like they got mad at their neighbor and they're like oh she's a witch yeah (laughs) or like people who are suffering like genuinely Mm -hmm. like who knows maybe some of them maybe they actually got a couple witches yeah maybe but I doubt that there were 40 to 50,000 witches in a few hundred years when I haven't met one so not yet I guess I've seen stuff on witch talk I've yeah, seen a I couple guess. TikTok videos. But, but like my neighbor isn't one. 40 so, to 50,000 women. 
that's in like in the stadiums that can fit about 50,000 people oh my god so that's like a whole stadium of women the salem witch trials in general and just witch trials in general there's like that could be a whole other topic that has nothing to do with women in the arts true <laughs> so and there's plenty of stuff about it i feel like that's a pretty hot topic that people love to talk about so if you want to research more about that i would highly encourage it especially for the different ways they tried to diagnose who was a witch and who wasn't mm-hmm. um it's ridiculously interesting but it's on on a lot of like true crime podcasts and everything else it's not as much of an obscure topic but it is important to note in this episode that that was a way that people handled women's mental health in history mm-hmm. is they literally just declared them a witch and killed them Love it. Yeah. Love to see it. <laughs> um, moving on to the next fun topic on today's episode. Um, 19th century gender roles. Would you yes. like to elaborate on that? Yes. It's going to be kind of the basis of our whole episode. And we've talked about the 19th century a lot, but mm-hmm. we have not talked about it in the realm of what it meant medically. So this is going to be very enlightening and kind of like an extended state of the arts for I feel like every single 19th century woman we've covered. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but basically, gender roles were extremely prevalent in the 19th century, probably more so than any other time previous to that. Because it became a time period when work and intellect were primarily reserved for the men and home and children were for the women. Mm -hmm. And so what they started doing is kind of allowing doctors to declare that any woman who rejected her submissive domestic role was medically impaired. So congratulations, Sadie, by 19th century standards, both of us would be in an insane asylum. Wow. Um, Yes. So one doctor, after visiting a girls' school in 1858, said, You seem to be training your girls for the lunatic asylum. Women who studied or read or who had simply had minds of their own and a determination to use them were demonstrating eccentricity of conduct, which meant that they were morally insane, which, okay, didn't know that could be a diagnosis, but it was a thing. And they were to be locked away until they conformed to more natural feminine behavior. And the worst part is, is that women could be incarcerated at the husband's request, regardless of legitimacy of the condition. So if a husband was like, oh, my wife's being weird, he could throw her in a mental asylum and there was nothing she could do about it. Oh, my. And just like the idea of it's like, oh, until you're like more stereotypically feminine but it's really just like being submissive it's like they were training women like they were dogs exactly it's like oh you got angry and spoke your mind like bad dog yeah you need to go away (laughs) speaking of bad not bad dogs Winnie is very good but I heard him oh (laughs) yeah he's whining he's fine he'll get over it the doorbell rang and he's upset that's fair it's very upsetting yeah but the sad part about this is that it kind of allowed doctors and society to start using like medication and like asylums and all sorts of stuff like that as like suppression weapons we kind of talked about this in one of our very first episodes with um when we talked about the gothic horror fiction writers like the women Mm -hmm. of gothic horror fiction and one of the stories was like about a woman who was going insane And she was, like, seeing things in the wallpaper. Do you remember? Yes. And it was, like, about the yellow wallpaper. Yeah. And it was, like, her husband was, like, saying she was insane and she was sick. And I I know I read it, but it's just, like, just a tie-in. If you go Mm -hmm. back and listen to that episode, we kind of talked about how women dealt with the frustrations of these very oppressive environments that they were forced to live in and kind of like their way of fighting the system or maybe just like speaking their truth (laughs) i hate that saying kind of lame now but you know what i mean like was through these horror stories that they were writing so just a quick tie-in last october we did that episode yes exactly i feel like so much of what we've talked about ties into this it's kind of really does (laughs) but anyway this allowed like so a lot of the times men would hire psychiatrists um, to probe their wife and daughter's abnormal behaviors and, like, diagnose what was wrong with them. Um, And it really, they had, like, a lot of different things. They would say, like, oh, she's exhausted. Or, oh, she's been overeducated. Or, oh, she has premenstrual syndrome. Um, But 
this also could get to like crazy things like, oh, she's unmarried. So she's going through a psychotic break or uh, indulging in unconventional sexual impulses, which I think all of you know what that means. Yeah. Um, or um, it would just be like this idea so that they could exert control over everything that these women were doing. One of the craziest parts is they had like premenstrual dysphoric, dysphoric disorder, which is basically PMS, but they developed like this treatment for it which was um, a drug called Seraphim, and it was basically Prozac. Oh. Yeah, but they, like, marketed it for women to treat their problems, and they, like, relabeled it and manufactured it in pink and lavender pills and marketed it towards women as like oh this will help you with like your womenly issues they were just Mm. like overdosing on Prozac going back to like what could be deemed as like bad behavior is like you could be thrown in an asylum for the crime of say protesting your husband's affair with your niece which is a real thing I guess that happened at the time Mm -hmm. just because it was so much not under your own control and if it, you know, like, ugh, I just, I read that in the notes and I was like, what? Yeah. No, it's ridiculous. It was literally just people were using, people, men were using it as a way to keep women under control. That's literally all they were doing. And that's kind of what they ended up doing with institutions as well. Like, mm-hmm. there was this quote I loved. They said, Are you a woman who cares about following her dreams and not towing the line? Do you speak your mind? Do you not feel particularly inclined to obey your husband or father in every little matter? Agree with their ideas about religion or educating your kids? Look meek and behave properly at all times? Well, you probably would have ended up in a mental institution. Oh my gosh. It's like, oh, you don't agree with your husband at all times? Which I think this is like, just to reiterate that it was perfectly legal in the UK and the United States in the 18th and 19th century to commit their wives to an asylum without giving her a chance to appeal the decision. Which is just the breeding ground for abuse. Oh, totally. It's like, oh, no questions asked. You said she belongs here, so we'll take her. Mm -hmm. And it got even worse. Like, I don't know how these places were allowed to run. Like, There's no way that this would even be close to legal nowadays at all. I hope not. Yeah. No. (laughs) So chloroform was particular what or what doctors considered particularly effective on boisterous women Uh and one doctor even said it was used to quiet them not only temporarily but permanently oh love that yeah um they also used straight jackets and a lot of asylum and superintendents would say that it was rarely necessary among men but it was a standard for disobedient women Um, And then they would also use a surgery all the time. So there was one um, woman who expressed great distaste for her husband. And so she was used in this new treatment to cure female insanity called a clitoridectomy. Which? Which I'm sure you can guess what that meant. Uh, I guess... So I guess the theory, though, ran that a woman's sexual organs caused her madness, so cutting Mm -hmm. off her clitoris would calm her. Yeah, which was the same theory for, like, hysteria, that they'd mm -hmm. cut out your uterus and you'd be fine. Good news, though. Doctors claimed it had a 70% success rate. So, wow. They'd also remove ovaries or inject ice water into, like, intimate areas. Or they would apply leeches to genitals. And this one is, like, crazy. I found this in a medical journal. Most of the lobotomized patients were women. So that's literally when they go into your brain and, like, destroy the frontal lobe. Oh, yeah. So you basically, like, you're a walking vegetable. Um, So even though most institutionalized patients at the time were men, most of the lobotomized patients were women. Interesting. (laughs) So five of the six patients in a case study by Freeman and Watts, who I think started out using lobotomies as, like, a treatment were women and their symptoms were apprehension and insomnia which seems ridiculous to give you a lobotomy over not being able to sleep ridiculous and then there was a patient who was committed for being fearful of aging 
And so they were like, oh, with her lobotomy, she can now grow old gracefully and care for her home. Oh. <laughs> and then um, she complained that she felt a lack of spontaneity after the surgery because mm-hmm. her frontal lobe was damaged. But her husband praised the changes the surgery had wrought, declaring her more normal than she had ever been. But the craziest part is that by 1942, 75% of lobotomies that were performed by Freeman and Watts were on women. 75%. That is not great. So very, very extreme measures for very, very small problems. Um, I think it also is good to know that, like, There's other, like, minority groups or just, what's the word, like, oppressed groups or? Yeah. There's just other groups that have also, like, unfairly been sent to insane asylums. For example, like, being gay. Like, that's something that could get you sent to an asylum. Um, Postpartum depression was another thing. Apparently, 10% of the women in asylums in the UK at one point were being admitted due to postpartum depression. Which is so sad. I know. Because it's like, like, now it's like we are aware of, like, what that is and, like, what the woman's going through. And, like, Um, But, yeah, and then sex workers also were sent to asylums a lot of the time. Yeah, the sex worker one was weird. They had what they called Magdalene asylums, named after Mary Magdalene for sex workers. And they would place them in, like, these asylums for their penance, for the crimes they had done. So they gave them new names. They weren't allowed to talk about their past or their families, and they had to work in complete silence. So it was basically, like, a working institution. Like, they were just put to work until they were done. And then they also often were thrown in lock hospitals, which were where they would send them if they had like an STD. Uh-huh. So it was a contagious, contagious disease act of the 19, 1860s where any sex worker could be put into these lock hospitals for up to one year against their will. And it's exactly what it sounded like. Yeah. It was a lock hospital. It's so sad because it's yeah. like just situations like postpartum depression, you know, mm-hmm. like to be institutionalized for that and to potentially have one of these treatments to be used on you as something to fix you. Like, I know. it's torture. Like, you know, what you said exactly like complete is, torture. It's a form of torture that I mean, like you want to think that they people were at least maybe good intentioned as to like this will actually help this woman. And I'm passionate about caring for this patient. But um, yeah, I, I don't think so. So we're going to take a quick break just to spotlight one of our new favorite women artists. So I've actually been following this artist for quite a while. I don't know why she hasn't come to mind sooner. Um, but her name is Sarah Herbert, I believe. And her account is Sarah K Creations with a K. So Sarah S-A-R-A-H, which I feel like people spell a million different ways, and then K, and then creations with a K. Um, And she is from Louisiana and specializes in, like, these architecture paintings with, I think it's, like, plaster and gold leaf primarily. I don't know what she uses to make it so textured. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. They're incredible. And her commissions are closed because of how busy she's been. But they're really, really stunning. Um, I was trying to load her website. Let me see if she has some prints available. She's done some giveaways recently. But I just love her stuff. I feel like it's just so beautiful. Like, talk about timeless. I feel like these definitely are. Okay, it looks like she has some prints. And they're embellished. So she actually adds on some gold and stuff to them to make them sparkly which is awesome so yeah she has a couple of prints they vary a lot in price but you might be able to go grab something just absolutely breathtaking um for not not that much money actually um i love she has like note cards and it's a set of four for forty dollars so you get like small artworks basically for ten dollars a piece which is really great or she even has coasters so yeah check her out i've loved her stuff for a really long time it's just really pretty um okay so for mine in the vein of mental health so we've shouted out okasis before the podcast um Mm -hmm. it's a podcast i listen to almost weekly i'm a pretty regular listener the co-host scout sobel she actually released a book 
this week or last couple of weeks called The Emotional Entrepreneur, which pretty much just talks about her own personal struggles with mental health in her Instagram, which is just Scout Sobel, Scout and then S-O-B-E-L. She says, The Emotional Entrepreneur is the ultimate emotional guidebook to entrepreneurship. My book is comprised of 25 mindset slash emotional lessons inspired by my journey living with bipolar disorder that have made me successful in business. So I liked it. I listened to her episode where she talked about it. I haven't gotten the book or read it, so I guess I can't really give any recommendations on, hey, this is a good book, but I really appreciate the message of it of like, hey, even if you feel like you are, even if you do struggle with mental health issues, that doesn't have to be the end of you. And there's ways that you can grow from them and learn from them in ways that can serve you. So I like the messaging of it. And it's that. also a good podcast. So check it out. The it podcast. also looks like she's starting another podcast called Scout Podcast. And the bio for that is where mental health and entrepreneurship intersect. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's twice a week. So if you want to check that out as well, that looks like it would be a great opportunity to um, discuss, discuss mental health and entrepreneurship. Also, her book, can I just say, is like beautiful. I love the cover. Like, like, like that would be a great like a coffee book. table book, even uh-huh. if you don't read it, which I'm sure if you read it, it's amazing. But on top of that. <laughs> All right. Now back to the show. So to kind of show this whole thing even like deeper, I actually found some stories oh, of like yeah. women that were unfairly incarcerated in these in asylums I don't know what to call it like it basically was prison so it like counts as incarceration but like they weren't in prison they were in asylums and kind of a fun note I haven't like looked into her a lot but apparently this trend of locking women in asylums was so widespread known that Nellie Bly a pioneering journalist um, got herself committed to a women's asylum which from the sound of it probably wasn't that hard and then began to write about abuses and mistreatment from the inside in 1887 which is really cool yeah wow so that's something to look into more if you want to read a journalist okay so some stories hooray do you want to read the first one it's pretty short so this first story is alice christina abbott so in 1867 um the 17 year old allegedly poisoned her stepfather's afternoon cup and that killed him why would she do such a thing According to Abbott, the old man carried on an improper connection with her, um, obviously unwanted sexual relationship since she was 13 years old. When she decided to speak out about the abuse, he threatened to put her in reform school and then came the tea. Mm-hmm. The tea being the tea she poisoned with, not the tea is in the gossip. Um, <laughs> but kind of both. <laughs> kind of both. <laughs> Despite Abbott's allegations, most people at the time thought that something was the matter with her head, which was the words of the New York Times. Meanwhile, the Daily Alta California newspaper reported that she had threatened to kill her stepfather and had made no secret of her satisfaction at his death, though neither of those sentiments necessarily made her insane or necessarily guilty. Abbott's accusations against her stepfather of sexual misconduct were called singular by the courts and essentially dismissed. Abbott stood trial in 1867 and was committed to Taunton State Hospital, a lunatic asylum in Massachusetts. After that, little is known and details surrounding the case remain mysterious. That that Abbott was treated neither as a victim of sex crimes nor as a sane woman who knowingly committed murder was a typical thing of the time which women suspected of pushing back against their social situations were all too often the diagnosis of insanity or institutionalized. Literally, an abused 17-year-old poisons her abuser and gets thrown in an insane asylum. And it's a crazy that it's like that was just dismissed. It's like we're not just going to like that. That's not something that would be in the equation, you know, as to maybe exactly. why that happened. To... It's ridiculous. And like, of course, she would be happy he's dead. Oh, yeah, of course she would. Who wouldn't be? I'm happy. <laughs> yeah, I'm happy he's dead. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Um, there was also Tirza Shed, who was imprisoned in a Jacksonville asylum because her um, she converted to spiritualism. And her husband didn't like that, so he threw her in an asylum. Um, This one's really sad. One of the first lovers of the famous Anne Lister, 
who was an openly lesbian Regency heiress. So she had this lover named Eliza Rain. And then after she broke up with her, Eliza was thrown in an asylum because she was a lesbian for the rest of her life. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, because she didn't have the power and influence that her ex did. So she got thrown in an insane asylum. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, this next one's kind of crazy. So she was an accessory to murder. <laughs> her name was Grace Marks. Um, she was the inspiration behind Margaret Atwood's novel, Elias Grace. Hmm. And she worked for Thomas Kinnear. And then... Um, she was tried for the murder of Kinnear along with his housekeeper but because they couldn't throw her in jail because she was a woman I don't know they threw her lover or whatever the guy who actually killed them in to prison and then hung him and then threw her into a insane asylum and they said that she exhibited signs of insanity according to the medical register, claiming to see spectral visions and displaying extreme mood swings. However, um, we have very few records, and the only thing that we really have that notifies that maybe she wasn't as crazy as she seemed is that there's a book by Susanna Moody, an immigrant to Canada, who visited the penitentiary and recognized her face among the group of women and said that she l was lighted up with the fire of insanity and glowing with a hideous and fiend-like merriment, but was not um, out of her mind and knew the system well enough to work in her favor. Mm. So kind of interesting. So maybe, and maybe she, she purposely... To avoid death. Yeah. Interesting. So that's kind of a crazy case. Um, in 1766, Hannah McKenzie of London was put in asylum by her husband because she refused, quite fairly, to put up with his locking her away, stealing her money, and having an affair with her niece. Um, she managed to bribe her way out, but other women, of course, weren't always so fortunate or lucky. So, literally, she gets mad at her husband for having an affair with her niece, and he throws her in an insane asylum. Oh my I don't gosh. understand. Vivian um, Haywood Elliott was the first wife of the American English poet T.S. Elliott. They married in 1915, 1915 while he was studying at Oxford. Um, she had always suffered from serious health problems that were compounded by insecurity about her social class. Um, it is clear that her disastrous marriage worsened her condition. Um, Elliott would not consider divorce, but formally separated from her in 1933 when she was and then she was committed into an asylum and eventually died there, apparently from a heart attack, but possibly an overdose. Research into their relationship has been hampered by lack of access to her diary, whose copyright was granted to Elliot's widow, Valerie. So ridiculous. Just silence her after death. Oh, gosh. That one was so crazy, too. Like, if you want to hate someone, go read about T.S. Eliot and Vivian Haywood Eliot. That was literally the saddest thing ever. He was not a very good person to her. Oh, I had no idea about that. Yeah, I didn't either. Um, this last story is crazy. And she actually became, like, a major spokesperson for women's mental health. Her name's Elizabeth Packard. And she came up in practically every single article. Like, you will see her name everywhere if you're Googling about Victorian women and mental health. So she was a teacher living in Jacksonville, Illinois, and was the mother of six children. And, of course, was supposed to be the ideal Victorian woman. So she had to be gentle, caring, mm -hmm. and obedient. Um, but she began to really reject and disagree her with her husband on his, like, radical religious beliefs. His name was... I can't even say it, Theophilus Packard. She just couldn't stand what he was doing anymore. He was a Calvinist pastor. And so at one point in the middle of church, she stood up in the middle of a sermon and announced she was going to the Methodist church across the street. Wow. <laughs> so she said she was going to the Methodist church across the street. And to the members of his church who were like really, really, really believed what he was teaching they literally thought that she was insane for wanting to join a different church. So for her husband, he was like, solution's clear. She embarrassed me. She doesn't believe in what I'm doing. She has to be institutionalized. So he arranged for a doctor to visit his wife, and the doctor pretended to be a sewing machine salesman. 
And then um, she actually ended up confiding in the doctor slash salesman and told um, him all about her husband's extreme religious ideas and that she honestly was a like afraid that he thought she was a lunatic for not agreeing with her um but her doctor sided with the husband diagnosed her as insane and sent her to the illinois state hospital for the insane in jacksonville um his reasons this is the craziest part his reasons include her refusal to shake his hand and the fact that she was above the age of 40. um she was actually locked up for three years and would go on to write and defend her sanity multiple times while she was in the asylum. Mm -hmm. She wrote, I, though a woman, have just as good a right to my opinion as my husband has to his. However, that was not allowed because women during that time period were often institutionalized for being annoyances in the family and defying domestic control. So um, she started to realize that if she didn't submit to her situation... She'd probably be in there forever. Um, She talked a lot about some of her fellow patients that were in there, and she noticed that a lot of them were also sane. So one of them had been diagnosed of extreme jealousy. Oh, And was halfway through a 16-year incarceration. Oh, my gosh. Um, There was also one who had been committed for reading novels, for insane um, behavior and hard study. And then... um, Period-related ma- madness was also commonplace, um, so doctors encouraged mothers to delay the onset of their daughters' periods by making them take cold baths and abstain from meat and novels, because apparently reading a novel will increase when your period starts. Um, so many women were committed alongside Elizabeth that the hospital was overcrowded, with 231 patients squeezed into only eight wards and another 240 patients on the waiting list. And there was only one way to escape— and that was to submit. Um, mm. Elizabeth Packard even said, if women remain true to their natures, there's no hope for them. So oh. every single genuine emotion had to be stifled. Every act of difference from the model of femininity had to be suppressed. Uh, Elizabeth couldn't display her anger at what had happened or even hint at hatred for her husband because her psych- psychiatrist was watching and any unladylike emotion would continue her incarceration which is like if you hate your husband who threw you in here you have to stay longer when it's like because that's unladylike can we just like understand basic human emotion please and then it's just really sad because she wrote of the breaking in period that she was supposed to be experiencing and said i think it will be a long time before this cure will be affected and even wrote god grant that time may never wear away in me this spirit of resistance which I love. She's like, uh, please like help me that no matter how much time I spend in here, I won't have to, I won't ever feel oh like actually docile. Yeah. Um, when her son turned 21, he was able to secure her release, but her confinement didn't end up right away. Um, she actually got locked in her house with the windows nailed shut and then um, actually took her husband to court. So in 1864, wow. she stood trial in a Packard versus Packard to prove her sanity and regain the right to leave her home. She won the case. In fact, it only took seven minutes for a jury to see that she was sane and wow. not crazy. Um, after separating from her husband, she actually went on to found the Anti-Insane Asylum Society and campaigned for divorced women to retain custody of her children, which was also another hurdle she went through after she divorced him. She had to fight for custody, wow. which is nuts. Um, she would also go on to author a number of books, including The Prisoner's Hidden Life or Insane Asylums Unveiled. And in 1867, because of her hard work, the state of Illinois passed a bill for the protection of personal liberty, guaranteeing that all people accused of insanity, including wives, had the right to a public trial. Um, She also saw similar laws passed in three different states. And there's a book about her that looks extremely interesting. It's called The Women They Could Not Silence, One Woman, Her Incredible Fight for Freedom, and The Men Who Tried to Make Her Disappear by Kate Moore. What a hero. I know. Like, (laughs) this is incredible. And, like, the fact that she was able to do so much to, like, actually make changes about it. Like, that's amazing. Yeah, it's crazy. And just like a plug for the book, right now the Kindle format is only $8. So like if you want to read it, then the Kindle one is awesome. And the hardcover is 22 and then the paperback is on pre-order. 
and it's 14. It will be coming out in February of next year. Definitely, like if you're interested in more about mental institutions in the Victorian era and what women were going through, then that is the... I would recommend it even though I haven't read it. <laughs> yeah, I am... I literally just clicked to purchase from the Amazon Kindle store. So that is now on my Kindle. Awesome. Thank you for the recommendations, Dottie. Sadly, though, like not everyone got that lucky. As sad as it is to treat her story as lucky. (laughs) Uh, A lot of people would remain locked up for decades. Others were never heard of from again. Um, And a lot of mystery continues to surround circumstances because we just don't know. There's lack of historical records and... There's no idea of how many women were in there that had no actual problem with maintaining sanity, but were thrown Mm -hmm. in there anyway. Um, And then one doctor, this just kind of shows the time period thought, is that during the suffragist movement, one doctor declared there is mixed up with the women's movement much mental disorder. Continuing on, though, as far as like past, you know, Victorian women... Um, I feel like there's there's still attitudes and perception towards women's mental health that still persists today. Um, women are more likely to wait longer for a health diagnosis or to be told it's all in their heads. Mm-hmm. Um, and they also just face additional risk for mental illness, including that when compared to men, women are more likely to be the main caregiver for their children, which can affect emotional and mental health. Um, they're overrepresented in low-income, low-status jobs. Women are more likely to live in poverty than men, leading to reduced access to mental and physical health care. They're also more likely to experience physical or sexual abuse, which, of course, abuse can have long-term impacts on mental health, especially when they don't have a good support system. Um, Yeah. Also, just trigger warning, we can briefly talk about eating disorders. Um, But it is something that significantly affects women, and many of these women are subject to this because of societal beauty standards that are pretty inherent in our culture and um yeah this part was crazy in today's society 12.4 million women suffer from depression as compared to 6.4 million men interesting i did not know that yeah and female depression differs greatly from male depression because women are more focused on the meaning of their lives and the importance that they place in themselves Or often are depressed about their role in their marriage, inability to find a worthwhile career. Um, It can also be caused by low social status, legal and economic discrimination, um, role expectations, helplessness. Um, Like we talked about earlier, postpartum depression. Yeah. So, like, it's just, it's definitely, like, a more prevalent in women. And, yeah, I feel like when we talk about depression, it gets lumped together. Yeah. Without realizing I that had that's no idea issue. that stati- I assumed that men I like I don't know why I wow. Yeah. And kind of on that same vein, um while men are um men commit suicide four times more than women, women women attempt it three times more often. Which like obviously like mental health of any kind regardless if you're woman man like no matter what like should be taken seriously and like I know there's like ways that I mean there's a whole other separate conversation of how we approach men and mental health Mm -hmm. because they're not as encouraged to express their emotions or to seek help you know like there's definitely societal things that are working against men too so I just assumed you know that that was it to the statistic but the fact that it's like no like there's like women are still ahead Um, they're attempting it more often even if they're mm -hmm. not actually successful and the sad part is i hate the word successful yeah i was gonna say i don't know a success no anyway (laughs) but the one of the saddest things too is that the largest group of americans who attempt suicide are housewives really yeah so check on your local housewife and then i love just this little thing it says what will historians historians of the future say about our present? Are we untreating women's pain because we categorize, categorize women as emotive? Are we ignoring a woman's psycho- psychological anguish because the way she communicates it deviates from an expected script? Do we discount the suicidal ideation of adolescent women because data show that women are more likely to consider suicide but less likely to follow through? 
The challenge for today's medical practitioners is to be as scrupulous in identifying our biases towards patients as we are when examining clinical evidence. We must reevaluate our penchant for categories and recognize their human costs. Is labeling the suicide crisis female the best way to save lives when the data released in August show that suicides among young men are also increasing? Whose bias has branded these deaths insufficiently newsworthy? And I think it goes to show that like even on a very depressing note, even though we've made it to the point where we're not committing women for standing up against their husbands or lobotomizing every single person who walks through a mental institution that happens to be female, um, there's still like a lot of work to be done and still a long way to go, especially when it goes to like women and health and mental health. I feel like women's health is just one of the lowest researched areas that there is. Yeah. Well, Um, I think... I, this is so separate from mental health, but I think, well, it's intertwined. Like I mentioned birth control earlier where Mm -hmm. it's like, I think it's just so common for women to be put on birth control and to have symptoms and for their doctors to be like, well, it's normal for you to be experiencing this, hold it out a little bit longer when it's like, why is this something I have to be forced to live with? Like exactly when it, and it's like, if it's the, if the woman doesn't want to live with those things let them get off the birth control like it's just so interesting that birth control always seems to be this answer and any type of symptom of it is something that just needs to be weighted out I feel like I hear so many friends who are like oh I wanted to get off of it I tried to get it out but the doctor told me it would go away the doctor told me it would go away the doctor told me this was normal when it's like maybe it shouldn't be like and then maybe we should just let the women make the decision if they don't want to keep on waiting to see if their depression goes away nope that was my situation they Mm -hmm. wouldn't take it out until I had had it in for six months because they yeah wanted to make sure that I had given it a fair shot well it's like (laughs) why do you have to give it a fair shot it's your body if you don't like what it's doing you should get the right like there should be no convincing you to do anything different I completely agree and kind of to throw it back into like the art sphere Um, We've talked a lot about how, like, artists are often thrown in this idea of, like... Tortured artists. More likely to be mentally unstable. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Even though no studies have actually proven that. Just everyone is aware. Yeah. They, like, don't have any actual proof. They're still searching it because they think it's a very interesting, weird phenomenon that it tends to happen. Um, But I think that this is especially important in the sphere of recognizing that... Um, just like Britney Spears, a woman's mental health could be weaponized against her art. Um, kind of like what happened with Camille Claudel, where she was literally institutionalized and not allowed to work anymore. Yeah. And literally wasn't allowed to sculpt. And that like Britney Spears, even though they were like making her work, it wasn't exactly conducive to an environment where you could be creative and like fully express yourself and mm-hmm. create the art that you wanted to. And so I think it's just important especially as we're looking at it through that sphere to recognize like the threat that it poses to like artistic expression mm-hmm. as well that like mental health could be very easily I think weaponized against um, artists yeah well this was uplifting yeah truly I'm like well I would love to think of a way to like turn this around but like I think it's like if there is like anyone who like is suffering from mental health but also, like, if you don't feel like you're being properly heard, like, I'm just this random person talking to you through your speakers. But, like, I hope that, like, you advocate for yourself. And, like, mm-hmm. and I'm, like, I'm just, like, so sorry if, like, you haven't had that support that you needed to, to like, and, and that if you haven't felt listened to, like, I'm just, I'm just sorry. Like, yeah, it's just really It's sad. not a fair situation for anyone. And definitely a continuing problem yeah so yeah don't be afraid to reach out and get help i'm medicated it's great <laughs> yeah. i've been to therapy it's also great therapy pretty much <laughs> saved my life as a teenager so yeah. so there's nothing wrong with that um and i think we've come a long way but if you ever do have a doctor who starts recommending a lobotomy run <laughs> thank goodness we're past that i think at this point <laughs> like i said i think there's there's obvious improvement which is like uplifting but it's like 
there's still just there's just more to go but there are good ones out there of course there there's are. good doctors they listen they pay attention they do a good job mm-hmm. so we're getting and there if you, and if your doctor doesn't get a new doctor yes there's nothing wrong if you're looking for permission a get a new doctor and same nothing wrong with switching to a new therapist yeah like, find someone that works for you and sometimes that takes some searching well thank you everyone for listening hopefully it wasn't too depressing of a topic i mean it's interesting it's sad but it's interesting and i hope it made you a little bit angry i think i think we're gonna be a little bit angry about this here this quote just popped up and i think it's like very prevalent to what we were talking about so we'll throw it in at the end here perfect um it's by dale spender and it it says feminism has fought no wars it has killed no opponents It has set up no concentration camps, starved no enemies, practiced no cruelties. Its battles have been for education, for the vote, for better working conditions, for safety in the streets, for child care, for social welfare, for rape crisis centers, women's refugees, reforms in the law. If someone says, oh, I'm not a feminist, I ask, why? What's your problem? That is a good quote to end on. Yeah. So, like... No harm has ever come from believing in the equality of women. No. And especially their mental health is very prevalent. So, yeah, let's just keep that in mind. And we'll be back next week. (laughs) Yes, we will be back next week with another artist. Perfect. Well, thank you for tuning in. And have a good week. Please do. Have a great week. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.